Hello, film lovers. Yes, it's that time of the week again. Sit down, relax, pop in your headphones and whap out some popcorn. It is time for the Films I Love Most podcast. If you didn't guess it already, from that introduction, it's the Halloween special of the Films I Love Most podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's Halloween. It's actually Halloween. One of my favourite nights of the year where we all settle down, we either dress up or grab a cup of tea and sit in front of a scary movie, which if you're a regular here at the Films I Love Most podcast, you'll know is one of my favourite things to do ever in the whole wide world. We have got such an exciting show for you. I hope that you've been over to the Films I Love Most podcast, the sequel, to have a look at the 13 Days of Terror. And I really hope that you enjoyed that. I did. I got to re-watch some of my favourite horror films and tell you all about them. So, what's not to love? I've got a very different snack here today. I'm sitting here with a big mug full of orangey red tomato soup just to make it a little bit more halloweeny sitting here looks like i'm drinking a goblet of blood but i'm not it's tomato soup and it's very tasty um so yes pack show enjoy it it's halloween what could go wrong <laughs> Now it's time for some movie news. I know you do like movie news. Um, Just want to say thank you so much to everyone that messaged me saying how much they enjoyed the BBFC interview that we did last week. It was a fantastic experience. Um, I can now share with you the rebranding of the BBFC with all their different logos now for the certificates, which is fantastic. I saw a trailer in the Prince Child Cinema yesterday for the rebranding so it definitely means that I can talk about it and it was just so nice and thank you to Craig and thank you to Megan for making me feel so welcome and also just for being so candid with us and it was amazing and I hope that you do invite us back soon because we'd love to do more with you if you're listening of course you're listening um yeah movie news so there was a new Star Wars trilogy that was going to be directed and orchestrated by David Beninoff and D.B. Weiss, who are the two guys that are in charge of Game of Thrones. But now it's been abandoned. They've just thought, nope, we're going to go and work with Netflix and we're not going to do a Star Wars trilogy. Now, if I was a Star Wars fan and I got offered to do a Star Wars trilogy, there is nothing that could keep me away. And these two guys are tipped to be the biggest Star Wars fans ever. So what went wrong? 
The series was going to be based on the origins of the Jedi. So it's going to go right back to the beginning on how the Jedi were sort of born and where did the religion come from. Which would have been amazing, but unfortunately it's not happening. But there's a slight little link to some more news today, which is not about movies, but about TV shows. So this should be in the, you know, small screen section, but I'm going to tell you here. That the Game of Thrones spin-off has been cancelled. Now this was going to be helmed by Naomi Watts, was going to be the main character in it. And it just seems to have been completely abandoned, even though they filmed a pilot episode over the summer. So I wonder what went wrong there. It's a bit suspicious, although, you know, with the ending of Game of Thrones being very controversial, maybe they just don't think there's a market out there anymore. But I would be willing to watch a Game of Thrones prequel series. I think it'd be really interesting. I want to know more about the White Walkers. Where did they come from? We didn't find out. Um, And also, James Bond has finished filming. So, um... The new James Bond episode, instalment, whatever you want to call it, is done. Daniel Craig, obviously, is James Bond. Phoebe Waller-Bridge has been a co-writer on it. So that's going to be really interesting to see. And a huge injection of humour. Maybe more to do with the female characters, which is going to be fantastic. So, yeah, that's out next year. It's possibly going to be Daniel Craig's last Bond film. But then again, we said that about Spectre, so... We're not entirely sure what that guy's doing. He could play that part until the end of time. Who knows? But yeah, if you want to see some even more light-hearted Daniel Craig action, Knives Out is out in a month's time. We will be reviewing that here on the Films I Love Most podcast. I have already seen it, but I'm not going to give anything away. But I will say one thing. It is brilliant. Movie reviews now with me. Yes, still haven't got those jingles sorted. Um, So first up for movie reviews is Terminator Dark Fate. Now, I've been in Germany for a week and I really wanted to go and see the opening night of this. But I've just got to see it in a very small theatre in Wood Green. So I didn't have the huge, great big IMAX experience with this film. But I don't think it really matters because my review is going to be fair. I'm going to say I'm not quite sure what all the fuss is about. I love Terminator and I love Terminator 2. Like, I'm obsessed with that film. I have a brother who's slightly older than me. So therefore, I was watching films that were not particularly in my age bracket, as we've spoken about before. But Terminator 2 was one of my childhood films. And I love it. And I think it's a great action movie probably the best action movie of all time and I think the story is amazing I think it's well acted I think Linda Hamilton is incredible in that film and then comes Terminator Dark Fate so the opening scene really shocked me and took me out of my comfort zone which I thought was amazing the first sort of five ten minutes of the film really sort of shook up the story and the timeline of the Terminator which I thought was really really clever and I was really excited to see what the rest of the film would throw at me seeing that they made such a bold move right at the very beginning but it was just the same old thing I mean I know that people go to the Terminator for a very specific experience but there was nothing new whatsoever it was 
actually quite dull and boring in parts. I thought Linda Hamilton's return was really well handled. I thought she was great. But in the second half of the film, she didn't have anything to do. They sort of pushed her to the background and had two other characters, although they were female characters, which is really, really incredible. I do think that they overshadowed Linda Hamilton's inclusion in the story. Schwarzenegger comes back very briefly for, you know, a role which they tried to make different, but at the end just wasn't very interesting. Um, Mackenzie Davis playing Grace was a welcome addition to the Terminator mythos. I thought that was a really great performance from her. She really kicked butt, so to speak. And uh, Natalie Reyes, who plays Danny, who is pretty much the Sarah Connor of the film, was really, really well played. I just wanted more. I mean, it was helmed as having James Cameron involved. Uh, Tim Miller was the director who directed Deadpool. So I expected a lot more humour. I expected a lot more, like, the story to be more thought out. But in the end, I just didn't warm to it at all. In fact, I walked out of the cinema, went to do my review and realised that I'd forgotten half the film. But the Terminator Dark Fate at least is better than the last two entries. Um, we had Terminator Genesis and the other one that I can't remember. I can't remember what it's called. Terminator Christian Bale shouts at a cameraman. That's all I can remember that it's called. But um, Salvation, yes, thank you very much. Thank you, the, the Dungeon Master. <laughs> it is Salvation. So... I'm giving Terminator Dark Fate 5 out of 10. But that's much more than I would have given Genesis. If we were doing this podcast when Terminator Genesis come out, you would have had a whole hour of me ranting about what a pile of steaming crap that film is. But, you know, they're they're going the right way. Who knows? A couple more attempts. Maybe we'll get a perfect Terminator sequel. But unfortunately, Terminator Dark Fate... It's not it. Talk. Talk fast. Who first? My name is Sarah Connor. August 29, 1997. It was supposed to be Judgment Day. I changed the future, saved three billion lives. Enough of a resume for you? No. You may have changed the future, but you didn't change our fate. I know you're scared, but I'm here to protect you. never seen one like you before. Almost human. I am human. Just enhanced. Why do you care what happens to her? Because I was her. Sarah! I can see you're very upset. I'm going to help you protect the girl. Nobody else is gonna die because of me! 
you don't make it, everybody dies. Expect a big pain, brother. The whole body's a weapon. Sorry. This is all over. I am going to kill you. I understand. I'll be back. Very different film coming up for our next review. It is Luce. L-U-C-E. Now, Luce is a really, really interesting film. But I don't think that I am qualified enough to tell you why it is interesting. And why it has such an important message. So, Luce is about a married couple that is forced to reckon with their idolised image of their son. He was adopted from a war-torn country... And after an alarming discovery by a devoted high school teacher, it threatens his status as the all-star student. Naomi Watts stars as the mother. Tim Roth stars as Peter the dad. Um, Octafina Spencer stars as the teacher. And Calvin Harrison Jr. plays Luce. Now, I have to say, it is incredibly well acted. Like, this film is probably one of the best acted films I've seen in a very long time. Now, this did play at the London Film Festival and a lot of people said that it was one of the best films they'd seen there. And I have to agree. It's really well structured. It has such an important message and it's so relevant today. The situations and the conceits that Luce is discovering as he's going through his latter school, high school life... I can imagine to be very, very reminiscent of a lot of black high school students in America, especially seeing that his background is so different and unique. He's come from a war-torn country. There's hints in the film that maybe he was a child soldier because they say that he was holding a rifle before, you know, he was stringing sentences together. So... To have a character that has obviously been through so much and showing them in their latter high school life doing so well and being the model student and then seeing people putting their own opinions, branding him with their own views of what he should be and seeing him slowly crumble is heartbreaking, relevant, shocking and I really, really felt for the characters Within 10, 15 minutes, I felt like I was part of that family and I really, really wanted everything to work out well for them. The thing I really liked about it is Lucy's character is sort of shown as this very model student, very polite, very intelligent, very empathetic with his classmates. But there's a dark side to him. He's a bit of a manipulator if in the latter part of the film, there are some situations that he sort of orchestrates where you think, you know what, 
this guy might not be as squeaky clean as we think. But that all adds to the dramatic tension and the and the the feeling of who's right and who's wrong in this film. I thought Luce was absolutely fantastic. And um, it was based on a play by J.C. Lee and it has been adapted. And I just thought it was brilliant. And I would urge any of you to go out there. It's a very pro- provocative film. And I would say that it's a, another film that should be shown in schools. We're saying this quite a lot now that we I'm going to watch films that are based around social anxiety and social issues. And these films should be seen by young people because in a way, they're a better way of guiding them than having you know, their teacher stand up in class and give them a speech about how they should act and how things should be. These films are really getting to the core of the emotional struggles of young people and they should be shown in schools. That's my opinion, but who am I? I'm not a politician. Thank the Lord. So I give Loose 9 out of 10. I think it was incredible. I think the performances were great and I think it has a really important message, especially in the black community. I can't wait for you all to see it. Please let me know what you think. When I first met my mother, she couldn't pronounce my name. My father suggested that they rename me. They picked Luce, which means light. If you Googled model student, Luce Edgar's picture would come up on the computer. Given Luce's background, you and Peter must have faced quite a few challenges. The language barrier, the culture shock. I mean, you don't pull a kid out of a war zone and have him turn out like Luce without a lot of help. Which is why this is so difficult. Difficult? Last week, he wrote a paper in which he argued that violence was a necessary cleansing force. You you teach this? I don't. So what? Something's going on and I want to be in front of it. She thinks I'm a poster boy. Black kid who overcame his tragic past. You really don't like her, do you? Okay, what about a responsibility to tell the truth? What? You don't conform to what she wants, and suddenly you're the enemy. This woman has some kind of vendetta against Luce. Isn't there a chance that what he wrote has went over your head? I can tell the difference between miscommunication and provocation. Like it how? Writing something like that might make someone freaked out. You really think I believe that stuff? I don't know. You threatened your teacher? I didn't. Luce, don't lie to me. I'm not. Luce. It's the truth. What happened with Miss Wilson? There were a lot of rumors. This woman decided to go after him on some witch hunt. My home was vandalized. I'm not going to ruin some kid's life because you come in here with some hunches. Is my son being accused of a crime? He sure as hell is about to be. It's like I only get to be a saint or a monster. Tell me the truth! This woman's just gone through a mental breakdown. What are you doing? He's lying, Dan. Period. Once you know something, you can't unknow it. I want to know. No matter what. Just goes to show you. You never really know what's going on with people. Bon 
bonjour to Le Monde. Yes, at the moment, Keith in the past is doing reviews, but I'm Keith from the future, Hannah. You're so futuristic, uh, I see I it in know. your eyes. This is Hannah, regular contributor to the podcast, and we've been to see Doctor Sleep. You have? Sequel to The Shining. What were your thoughts? Well, I think I know what you think, because we both were sort of grabbing each other throughout the film. I think we both really loved it. Okay. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. I thought it was a really nice sequel. Mm-hmm. Like it tied up quite some like loose ends from The Shining. Mm-hmm. Like the bit when Danny goes into the room and you don't actually see what happens to him. It sort of tied that up a little bit in the film. Do you know when he goes into room 237? Yeah, oh, I see what you mean, yes. Yeah, and um, when, you know, just like little things about what happened to his mum, what happened to them, excuse the background sound, uh, what happened to them when they left the... Overlook Hotel. Should we wait for this uh, ambulance that just is obviously lacking attention? Um, yeah, so I liked how it filled in those gaps. This is going to be a spoiler-filled, um, uh, it, yeah, you know, a review because we have to spoil it. I would agree with you. I definitely, as well, thought that the people who were playing characters that were in the original film did a really good job of sort of emulating without trying to imitate if you see what I mean so I the, completely that the was actress, one of the questions I was going to ask you actually what did you think about the stand-ins basically they were good like the dance mother was, her voice was amazing she didn't she wasn't completely doing a complete impression but her voice was very similar and the little boy who played Danny was really a good at like the beginning him. yeah yeah I thought I really liked that at the beginning like mm. it was almost like the day after mm. The Shining you, you find out yeah. what happens and I, I agree with you well even well, actually, I would say... Jack Torrance? Maybe not Jack Torrance. Um, because it took a while for me to... Basically, what happens is in Doctor Sleep, he... Danny Torrance goes to the bar that Jack Torrance sat at in the hotel. And instead of it being Lloyd, the original Lloyd, it's Jack Torrance as Lloyd. Do you think that might tie into that really weird ending of The Shining that everybody sort of doesn't really understand about that Jack Torrance always being there? He was always the caretaker, but he's the bartender in that scene. Well, I'm not sure. I haven't read The Shining or Doctor Sleep, but is that a part of the books? Uh, No, because Because Stephen King hates the original film. Well, I was going to say that to me it feels as though maybe Doctor Sleep is more authentic to the books than The Shining is. Is that just me? Well, I think what they've used, they use the iconology of the film to sort of as a familiar thing for audiences but the book sort of is a sequel to The Shining of the book it's not a sequel to the film yeah yeah. and the film and the book are quite different so mm-hmm. therefore they're, they're two different entities mm-hmm. so but Doctor Sleep the film is definitely a sequel to the film including the changed ending because um, you don't see so much of the hotel um, that was not explored in the original whereas in the book you see quite a lot more of the hotel okay. that was explored in the original Shining book does that make sense? I think so yeah <laughs> but the ending is very different let's put it like that and okay. if you want to read the book you'll get a different experience but a lot of the key scenes that I really enjoyed from the book are in the film mm-hmm. I would. another thing I would say is that The Shining is more sort of has a hand in reality a lot more whereas this is a lot more delving deep into the magical nature of things whereas yes I feel like it's on the fringes of The Shining you kind of get little hints of weird stuff happening the whole throughout but it's not as intense I think there's like a way of explaining it isn't there that the hotel fed on The Shining Mm -hmm. 
which I didn't really get from the original film. No. I didn't get that. But this is those sort of shining vampires, you could say. Mm-hmm. They feed on the shining. Each of each and every one of them is like a mini version of the Overlook Hotel. Mm-hmm. Except the Overlook Hotel is this big, massive entity that just sucks people with the shining mm-hmm. dry. Yes, yeah, interesting way of looking at it. And also, does that mean that Jack Torrance had the shining? Because they fed on him so much. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. We never really, that's never really explored, is it? Whether Jack has The Shining or whether Wendy has it, because she sees quite a lot of stuff in the original mm. film. Well, only at the end, though, right? She only sees. Yeah, she yeah. sees that. I'm really. There's a bit in uh, Doctor Sleep where they bring back all the entities from the original film, which I thought was really weird. I thought it was a bit like, like a Marvel movie. I know what you mean. <laughs> where yeah. they bring. It was a little bit hammy at the end, very slightly, because it was like all the ghostly figures you see in The Shining are there in one like lined up together in yeah, one, yeah. one shot like the twins and the guy that says great party isn't it and the bath lady yeah and the bath lady what did you think of the end I thought that was the only negative that I could think was the end was really rushed where in, in the book it's quite prolonged the ending well I don't know because the film itself is long but didn't feel long you're very gripped throughout and you really I don't know I was so on the story and I don't know, I guess it was slightly, you could tell where it was going and in the very last scene of the film, you see, um, I've forgotten her name, Abra? Abra, Abra, talking to Danny and it's kind of clear that he's not alive. Yes. And it's kind of like a little reveal, but it's not. I get that. I I, I understand that. Again, very different to the book. Uh, No spoilers there, but it's, Danny doesn't die in the book, as far as I can remember. I did read it last year, but he doesn't die in the book. Although having said that, maybe I agree with you because when um, Rose dies, that felt I felt like it was too sudden, like it was too easy to kill her. Yes, because like I said in the book, that whole plan is quite prolonged, mm. whereas here it was almost very quick. And he he um, also there was a bit when the, his original plan fails. You know, the original plan to lock her in a box fails. But it's almost like this was the plan all along, was to set the the Overlook ghosts on her. I see what you mean, but also it went wrong for him as well, clearly, because he ended up killing himself. Well, he ended up dying, yeah. yeah. Yes, I mean, it did not go well. Again, this is all sort of weird territory um, for me, because obviously that wasn't in the book. So that all went a little bit different. So let's talk about Rebecca Ferguson because I think she was actually one of my favourite things in the film. She played the hat. Mm-hmm. What did you think of her performance? I liked her. Um, at first, when I first saw her, I was a little bit unconvinced by her the costuming. Beautiful. The costuming. Oh, the costuming. Okay. I thought it was a little bit over the top with this like top hat and the pin and the spooky hair. <laughs> I yeah, thought it was yeah. a little bit too much. But yeah, I, I got more into her. She I was... loved her performance. There's a bit in the film where she sort of has an out-of-body experience and, and transports oh, so, yeah, her okay, body yeah. across to where um, Abra. Abra is. Yeah. And it's such a clever sequence because when she gets sucked back into her body, like that, 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 that made me jump. Yeah. That shot of her getting sucked in and then falling off the top of the van, yeah. I thought that was so good. Let The cinematography, mm. I thought, was amazing. That was one thing I wanted to speak about because... The way that they made material things that are not like immaterial, they made a sort of material um, portrayal of those things, but they're really inventive. Especially the one you mentioned just then, the Abra, sorry, Rose tries to get into Abra's brain and is thrown back into her own body, as you say, and it's like 
her spirit body collides with her own body and it like yeah. tumbles but off. But not the... only that, but the sequence in the um, shopping supermarket yeah, too. when she gets thrown back into her body and the the, uh, the fridge explodes and she's catapulted across the this is so good it's so inventive um i would like right up to probably the bit when they get to the overlook hotel which i thought was going to send me over the edge in like geekdom yeah i thought this is going to be complete fan wank and i was just going to go boom and explode but actually everything before that I enjoyed a lot more than when they got to the Overlook I would agree and up to that point till they got to the Overlook I was thinking this is going to be my best film of the year Mm. this is going to be my favourite film of the year I cannot yeah until they got to the Overlook but the build up there was great as well when they first when they sort of it it starts the sequence when they're going to Overlook it basically it's the beginning of The Shining it's the same shots and the same music yes and then we were were both like oh my god we looked at each other and just went we're in heaven yeah this is heaven because literally that very opening shot of like the, the camera the, slightly yeah, tilted yeah. going towards the, the sort of the trees and the, the small island and the, the mountain yeah, yeah. Um, is exactly the same and you had the I mean um, you're here later on in the podcast that my friend Melissa is going to be talking about The Shining and it's her favourite film and I can just picture her in the cinema in that sequence just gripping the yeah. uh, her partner Paul and just going ah this is incredible but um, yeah that to me was like the pinnacle of the film after that it went slightly downhill but still really good I, I still really enjoyed it I did I, to be honest I wasn't really thinking that I didn't like the ending so it's only now that you mention it that I'm kind of I only the only reason I didn't like it as much as I wanted to was because it was rushed but because that's only because I've read the book Mm. and I know that the book has a more sort of layered twisty ending than Uh the film does Mm. when she dies Rose dies Mm. in the film I was like, oh no, she's going to come back. I thought that she'll come back. It seemed like she was because the the way that the vigils are done when the vampire people whatever they are are dying yeah. it's kind of like they're flickering away and she was flickering as though shining might... suckers shall we call yeah. them shining suckers she was flickering away but then she didn't come back as I expected her to yeah, and yeah. it was just over well she came back as Danny because she was possessing Danny's body right but no she was... it was the hotel possessing him oh I always That's what I, I, thought. I thought it was Rose the Hat that was inside him at the end I thought that it was the hotel that was inside him at the end oh well if you know if any of you have seen it please <laughs> put on Twitter <laughs> team Hannah or team Keith <laughs> Battle, go! Um, no, I'm only joking. It could be either or. We have both different interpretations, and that's good. That's what film's about. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was Rose the Hat inside him trying to kill Abra. Well, it's just because she died, and then. I thought she became part of the hotel. And all the characters from the hotel grab him, and they go inside of him. Yeah. And then. That's a little bit confusing. I am going to watch it again, just to tell you that. I would love to see it again in the cinema. Yeah, like, I'm going to watch, watch it, it again. Like, tomorrow. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I watched The Shining last night. And I, that enriched the experience because there, it, it felt like, the film felt like, even though it's obviously different actors playing the roles, it felt like it, at the end of The Shining there could be a caption that comes up the next day yeah. and then Got to Sleep just carries straight on. That's another thing. I would say that they did a really good job of emulating a lot of the shots. So like when flashbacks to Jack Torrance banging, like, knocking down the bathroom door with the, the hammer was really like I thought it was a clip from the original film but it's not it's, yeah yeah it's, well, the axe really, when it's yeah, coming it's through really yeah yeah and also when Danny's riding around on the yeah, trike yeah in the opening yeah and he gets to room 237 and the door opens so I kept thinking that it was taken yeah, yeah. from the original film but it wasn't it was just um, an really amazing well Mike Flanagan did an amazing job um, he is now becoming 
the number one director to adapt Stephen King seeing he did Gerald's Game as well on Netflix so fingers crossed that it, there's more to come from him because I really enjoyed it what would you give Doctor Sleep out of 10? I so enjoyed it maybe a 9 or even I don't know Oh, I'm going to give it an 8.5 but it only loses 1.5 because I was really looking forward to them to get to the Overlook Hotel at the end but then it just turned out not to be the pinnacle of the film and going back and watching it again I'll probably give it a 9 or a 10 because now I know what to expect and therefore I can pace myself a little bit now I'm saying that we've just come out of Doctor Sleep. That's a little bit of a lie, isn't it? It's a fib. It's a white lie. It's a little fib because we actually went and saw it earlier on this evening because today is Halloween. It is. Happy Halloween, Hannah. Happy Halloween to you too. Um, We decided to go and watch Rocky Horror Picture Show Sing Along and you've never seen it before. Never seen it. I have. So what are your thoughts on Rocky Horror Picture Show? It was really, really good. But also the fact that it was a sing-along and everyone was dressed up. If you don't know, the Prince Charles often hosts a sing-along where you can dress up and get involved. This is the Prince Charles cinema, not Prince Charles. Uh, We didn't pop to the palace and dress up and saw the Queen dressed in her um, fishnet tights playing Frankenfurter. That, I would pay to see that. It was so good. I mean, I I knew a lot of the music already because it's so well-known. But I basically knew nothing about the film or what it would be like other than that there'd be men in fishnets. (laughs) That's kind of it. Yeah, yeah. And... I mean, what what more could you want? Yeah. And I just... I don't know. It was great. Tim Curry was amazing. Susan Sarandon was great as well. Yeah, yeah. You were just telling me about how much you now love Tim Curry. Yeah. Because all I know him from, other than this, is um, the Muppet Treasure Island. (laughs) (laughs) Home Alone 2? No, I haven't seen it. Ah. Wow. No, it's, it's, yeah. But it's fabulous. Just everything about his facial expressions and his pronunciation, his costume. He's a legend. Yeah, he was great. Like, I've seen Rocky Horror Picture Show on stage, mm. and they also did a, um, a Rocky Horror Picture Show live, the Americans did it, which was an abomination against humanity. Yeah. It was the worst thing I've ever seen. I didn't even make it past Damn It Janet. Why so, why so terrible? What happened? Because it was so, it was so bad. Oh. Like, it just, it tried to be something that it could never be. And Tim Curry is so iconic in that role that no one can replace him. Yeah, I can't picture anyone else doing that. Nope, no one. You, there was a lot of people dressed up as him. They look fabulous. I love it when people have that confidence just to get that yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of basque on and then the fishnet tights it and everything. It looks so good. The and the high heel. Yeah. I couldn't do it. I've always wanted to dress up to a Rocky Horror Picture Show, but I know I'll just probably look like my nan. Being there tonight, I felt left out. That we should, like. I wish we would have been dressed up. We should put some lippy on. Should have done something. With some fake it eyelashes. It was just for the moment and it was sold out and we just happened to wiggle our way in. Yeah. At the last moment. We do. We do that quite a lot, don't we? <laughs> we managed to wiggle our way in. Um, what would you give Rocky out of 10? Actually, you know, the experience itself was great, like a 9 out of 10. But I do need to watch it again because it was so loud in there with all the singing yes. and the shouting and the screaming. Was that just me? I was belting <laughs> out those tunes. You were, you were. I, knew, I know every line. I love it so much. But so many people in the auditorium know the film so well that they can... Oh. Riff and like um, ad lib. Like, yeah. Some of the ad libs had me in stitches. Yes. <laughs> the bit when Brad whipped off his glasses and someone shout out, It's Superman! <laughs> and then when he put the glasses back on, they went, Where's Superman gone? <laughs> I died. 
Brilliant. It was good. Um, oh, there you go. Nine out of ten for Rocky Horror Picture Show on Halloween night. Maybe I'm being too generous. I've given them both nine out of ten. Well, yeah, yeah. So I well, watch it again in a quiet room with headphones <laughs> alone. on, alone, <laughs> yeah. and see what you think of it then. But I guarantee it's probably still a nine out of ten. All right. Or a ten out of ten. I'll do it. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me again. Lovely. Here's Hannah. Bye-bye. Bye. When I was a kid, there was a place. A dark place. They closed it down and let it rot. But the things that lived there... They come back. Not many ride the bus this far north. You're running away from something. I'm running away from myself, I guess. You can hear me. You're magic. Like me. I don't know about magic. I always called it the shining. The world is a hungry place. A dangerous place. These people, they hurt people like us. These empty devils. They'll eat what shines. And they noticed that little girl. Wow, hi there. Get out of my head! Get out! I haven't felt power like that in so They're coming. Where are we going? There's a place. I'm ready. Yes, you run, dear. And then I will find you. And you will scream for years. Come play with us forever and ever. Now, like the shrinking man, it's time to shrink down our screens and talk about the small screen. Yes, this is the section of the podcast where we talk about TV shows that might as well be movies because they're equally as well made and equally as well plotted. And this week we are sticking with the Halloween theme as it is our Halloween special. And we are going to talk about Castle Rock. Now, if any of you know anything about literature especially Stephen King you all know that Castle Rock is the town in Maine where a lot of Stephen King's books are based and season one was on last year what a success it was incredible Um, I mean Sissy Spacek was in it what an absolute joy to see her back on the screen in Stephen King material but this year we're back in Castle Rock with a very, very, very different story. Now, 
Um, there are going to be a few little spoilers in here because I think it's important that I get across my absolute excitement about this season of Castle Rock. So there's a young mum on a journey away from a small town where obviously something has happened. She's with her daughter and they seem to be running away for something, even though they seem to be quite, you know, happy and jolly and, you know, but the mother hides a massive dark secret. And if any of you know your Stephen King lore, you will know that the secret is not a nice one. You find out very, very early on that the young mother is actually Annie Wilkes, who, if any of you know your Stephen King lore, you'll know that Annie Wilkes is the kidnapper from the film and book Misery, which is really interesting. And she comes to Castle Rock trying to seek a new life with her daughter and they end up living and working in a place called Jerusalem's Lot. Again, if you know you Stephen King, you will know that that is the setting for the story Salem's Lot. So it is combining these two narratives together, although it's going down a completely new avenue. I absolutely love it. I think the cast is incredible. Having Tim Robbins back in a Stephen King story is incredible. If you don't know who Tim Robbins is, he plays Andy in the Shawshank Redemption movie and he's back doing Stephen King material, which is just fantastic. And Lizzie Kaplan, who plays Annie Wilkes, I've she is equally as good as Kathy Bates. And if you remember, Kathy Bates actually won an Oscar for her performance as Annie Wilkes in Misery. So Lizzie Kaplan is definitely one to watch. She's fantastic in this series. And it's so neat and complex and funny in some places, terrifying in the others. And if you are a Stephen King fan, it is like being in a candy shop. There are so many references being thrown around. There's one scene in the latest episode where Annie Wilkes finds herself strapped, tied up to a bed by a kidnapper. And you just think, hang on a minute. Not only is that what she did to Paul Sheldon in the film or in the book, but also it's very reminiscent of Gerald's Game the film that's on, you know, the Stephen King film on Netflix where the woman is tied to the bed. Um, I'm, I'm not going any further with that film because I'm just going to leave that hanging there. I bet a lot of people are excited to go and watch it now. But um, yes, it's so, so good. If you can check it out, it's an anthology series. So it's like American Horror Story. The first series is about a set of characters. This series is a completely new situation. So if you're not quite sure, um, you can easily... Go and watch season two without having seen season one. Although it is a more enriched experience if you watch season one first. So Castle Rock, if you love your Stephen King, which, you know, there's a lot of Stephen King around at the moment, especially about a film that we spoke about in the film reviews, you're going to absolutely love this show. So please get out there and watch it. It's so, so good.
It's time for our weekly competition. Yes, you could win a Blu-ray or DVD from the Bog of Eternal Stench. This week, all I want you to do is on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter, send me a picture of your Halloween costume. Yes, what are you going out as for Halloween this year? Please send me a picture. Tag us as the Film I Love Most podcast and I will choose the costume that I enjoyed the most and you will win a Blu-ray or a DVD from the Films I Love Most podcast, Bog of Eternal Stench. So what have you got to lose? Win-win all round. <laughs> Lovely. Now it's time for the Film I love most, and we're going to be speaking to Melissa Wen today, or as I know her, Melissa Wen, and she's going to be talking about her favourite film of all time. Now, you're going to realise very quickly why I think that this is the most apt film I love most for this episode, and we have spoken about this film already today, but now it's time to go a little bit in depth. Take it away, Melissa. My favourite film of all time has to be The Shining by Stephen King, uh, directed by Stanley Kubrick. I watched this film in the 80s for the first time and I can remember the sheer terror that I felt. It absolutely frightened the life out of me. Um, The opening shot, I mean, I just... That is beautiful, that shot of that car weaving its way through that beautiful landscape, that mountainous landscape, and it's shot from above, and you just know that there is nothing about this film that is going to be beautiful or pretty. Um, I love the... uh, I love the the madness of it. I love the red rum. I love the elevator of blood um, and the sadistic twins. They all add to the surrealism of the film. I would actually say it's probably an intellectual thriller, but the one thing that stands out to me and puts this film above other horror or or thrillers is that Stanley Kubrick's passion is in every inch of that film. Um, And I think it's absolutely brilliant I love the soundtrack it's cold and it's dark and it builds the tension perfectly and the way that it's shot the long shots of the camera allow the viewer to feel that isolation and feel that horror and that loneliness um I just think it is full of horror but it's actually not got a lot of violence in it it's only when um, Jack Nicholson starts getting hold of that axe and smashing his way through that door that you actually see the violence. The rest of it is all psychological. Um, I love the subtleness of Danny as he rides his trike down the lonely corridors of the hotel. I love the the noise of those wheels going round and round and round and you feel the rhythm of it and the t- that builds the tension brilliantly. Um, I also think that it is you start to, as a viewer, you start to relate to that madness, that loneliness, and I think that is brilliantly done. It, it's just the film that, that keeps on giving, and as I've watched it in recent years, I've, I've started to see so many different elements to it. Like, um, I, I can almost say it has a bit of comedy in it, actually, from the way that Jack Nicholson becomes, his, as his behaviour becomes more extreme, and... Um, 
and violent and, and the madness takes over him, it is sort of quite funny in places, actually. Um, I think it is absolutely a masterpiece. I, I think it's quite disappointing, actually, that it didn't receive a single nomination for an Oscar. Now, The Shining is an absolute classic, and if you know me, you'll know it's one of my favourite films of all time also. So thank you very much, Melissa, for that. I've recently re-watched The Shining in preparation for Doctor Sleep, and it's just an absolute masterpiece. It stands out so well. I don't want to repeat what Melissa has just said, but everything about that film is clever, eerie, fascinating it's so well made as most of you know Stephen King hates the film absolutely hates it and I can understand his point of view completely having read the book because I'm also a really huge fan of the book the character of Jack Torrance in the novel starts off as a very ordinary man who is going through extraordinary experiences. For example, he, in the book, um, assaults a pupil when he's teaching, which is the main reason why he loses his job and they have to go and live in the Overlook Hotel so they can earn some money. But it's a very slow dissension into madness and hell for the Jack Torrance in the book. And I can see why Stephen King had an issue with that in the film, Because in the very first scene in the interview with Jack Nicholson, you can see that he's absolutely batshit crazy. Um, Yeah, I just think that Stephen King put so much into the character of Jack Torrance in the book. In the book, he also struggles with alcoholism, which I know for a fact that Stephen King did because he talks about it in his autobiography around that time he was really struggling with drug use and alcoholism so I think that he'd put so much of himself into the character and put so much of his experience into the character to see Stanley Kubrick turn around and say you know this character is going to be like this this is how I imagine it I can imagine was a bit of a personal blow to Stephen King Also, Stephen King actually did write a screenplay for the movie, handed it to Stanley Kubrick, who read the first few pages and dumped it in the bin in front of Stephen King. So you can probably imagine that did not get them off on a good start. So they're the experiences that King had with the film. So it's completely understandable, I think, that he's not a massive fan of the end product. But I have to say, it is such a good movie i have must i must have seen it at least 15 20 times and every time i watch it i get something new from it and i see something or i hear something or i get a feeling that's completely fresh when i come to that movie and uh with dr sleep as you heard from the interview earlier that world has now been expanded and bring on the third book please stephen king because i am very anxious to find out what Danny will be getting up to next. Film found for a pound, doink. Yes, it's back. Film found for a pound. How could you not love this section? We are making money for charity shops by you going in there, 
buying a film for a pound, watching it, we'll review it. You can either give the film back or pass it on to somebody else. It's a win-win situation for all. This week's Film Founds for a Pound, we've had The Witch, which we had, I think we had last week, Jaws, which we get a lot of because a lot of people do love that film, Day of the Jackal, Network, but what I've chosen this week obviously ties in with our Halloween theme, but it's one of my favourite werewolf films of all time. It can only be An American Werewolf in London, yes absolutely love this movie john land is directed it um michael jackson actually saw this film and that's what gave him the idea of the music video for thriller and he actually got john landis to come and make the thriller video based on what he saw in american werewolf in london now american werewolf in london is such a strange hybrid of genres in one point it's absolutely hilarious it's funny it's uh sexy it's got this real genre mix that i don't think anyone had seen when it was first released back in the 1980s 1981 i just think that why it is such a good film is that it has so many different elements to it that really come together. For example, the setting. It's so British. You know, there's scenes when you watch it and it could be an Ealing comedy. There are scenes when you watch it when it's absolutely violently disgusting, especially the transformation sequence, which um, was orchestrated by Rick Baker, who won an Oscar. He won an Oscar for this film. Like, just that's just incredible. And... Jenny Jenny Agata playing the nurse who is, you know, you'd think would be the damsel in distress, but she's not. She's actually quite a driving force in the film, which I really love. And I love Jenny Agata anyway. But, you know, it's such a such a clever film. I had such a crush on David Norton, who plays David in the film. When I was growing up, I think he's so sexy in this film. Obviously not when he's growing hairy and growing fangs, but there's something about him in this movie that I find really attractive. And I think that really helps you follow that character and go through the sort of pain and the anguish that he's going through. And obviously he's dealing with grief because his film, his best friend dies in the film and he keeps seeing him popping up in various forms of decomposition, which is one of the main comedy elements of the film. It's brilliant. And John Landis, who directed this, even though I'm not an actual massive John Landis fan, I think this film is a pinnacle of his career. And I've recently just bought the Arrow Video Collection, of um, American Werewolf in London, the 4K restoration looks beautiful, just going to say, and the documentaries on it are great. So if you've never seen it, don't be put off by the title. It's not a horror movie. If anything, it's a comedy thriller, and it's just one of the most remarkable films of the 80s, and I cannot recommend it enough. (laughs) 
<laughs> that is all we've got time for on the films I love most podcast, the Halloween special. Now, if you haven't checked out the 13 Days of Terror segments over on the films I love most podcast, the sequel, then please do because there's some really interesting insights to some of my favourite horror films and I'm sure that they will become your favourite horror films in the future. Don't forget to contact us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Just search Keith Goldsborough or the Films I Love Most podcast. And you can email us on filmilovemostpodcast at yahoo.com. Get in contact with me. Remember, this this podcast is nothing without you. So you can contact me about your favourite movies, about, you know... Things that you might think I've got wrong. I got a very interesting uh, tweet from someone who was very, very annoyed with me about my Joker review. But you know what? I don't care because it's my opinion. And you can have your opinions too, but I want to hear them. So please, please get in contact with me. I am nothing without you. You are my master. And yeah, please, whatever you're doing for Halloween, have fun. Stay safe. And just enjoy it, guys, because Halloween is the most wonderful time of the year. (laughs) Happy Halloween. Bye.